This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Good morning, Equalizer Extra subscribers. It's time for another episode of the Equalizer Podcast. of the Equalizer podcast on a Mother's Day weekend, and boy, was it a good weekend for mothers across the NWSL. My name is Dan Lawletta. Chelsea Bush joins me on the podcast today, and we'll have Claire Watkins and John Halloran with a little bit of a special segment live from SeatGeek Stadium in Chicago, where the Red Stars ended the Courage unbeaten streak at 15 games with a 3-1 win. Quickly, other results across NWSL. The others were on Saturday. The Dash rallied, became the first team to score on, and then get a result against the Royals. 2-1 to one final. Rachel Daly had both goals and then got sent off. Portland defeated Orlando 3-1 to one in a game that had a lot of interesting twists and turns. And the Spirit 3 and Sky Blue FC 2. Spirit get win number 2. That matches what they did all of last season. And where we will begin... And where we'll lean heavily on Chelsea is the United States over South Africa, three to nothing in the first of what I guess you would call the send off friendlies because they've got their roster now. So they're not playing for roster spots anymore. They are playing for, I guess, playing time and cohesion and whatnot. So I know you watched this game a lot more close than I did, a lot more closely than I did. So give me a sense of what happened, Chelsea, in USA three, South Africa zero. Um. It was kind of a, I think it was an okay game. You know, yes, it's one of those games where you probably want to focus more on the result and how they got there because they didn't look too great doing that. I think the U.S. tends to play up or play down to their opponents. And so today they were, they were playing down. They came out uh, just just very slow, weren't, weren't moving as much as they should have. Uh, South Africa was really in, in the low block and was, was um, man-marking in their defensive third. And rather than trying to draw, you know, defenders out or playing the ball into space and making those late runs. Um, There was a lot of just passing the ball around from flank to flank by the U.S. And then when they did, you know, Kristen Press got a lot of of good crosses in, but they weren't really connecting um, with Tobin Heath. Alex Morgan was, frankly, all but invisible. She just wasn't getting any service. And so when a player was making a late run into the box, it was usually Tobin Heath, and they, they just weren't connecting. Um, I thought it got better in the second half when Megan Rapino subbed on, she, just kind of proving that there really is no substitute for her creativity. She really added a spark of life to it. And um, beyond that, you know, defensively, they, they weren't they weren't uh, tested at all. Uh, the most ridiculous thing and most things stands out most for me, honestly, is probably just the fact that Julie Ertz was allowed to continue playing with an actively bleeding lip and this this 
huge wad of gauze <laughs> shoved in her mouth, flopping around in the wind, apparently had backups tucked into her, her, her shirt. Like, that was just, that was bizarre. Like I, I appreciated the Twitter feedback on that, which I usually don't appreciate Twitter feedback, but it was kind of like, wow, Julie Ertz is really tough, but um, that shouldn't be allowed. Yeah, I, I couldn't understand why the medical staff or the referee was, was allowing that. It was very clearly still bleeding. Um, she'd already changed her shirt once. I'm sure she did it again at, at halftime. It just, like, come on, this is a friendly, this is not a World Cup final. You have six subs, which she did actually use six subs. I was kind of surprised. That's not always a thing we'll get from Jill Ellis. And, and they were six timely subs. Like, they weren't just all shoved in the 92nd minute. Um, so it was, it was just, it was a, like a lot of lopsided friendlies. You can't really learn a lot, but we scored some goals and nobody got hurt. Except for Julie's lip, I suppose. That, that that strikes me as the thing that like the rule very specifically states you can't have blood on your shirt. So I guess since it doesn't specifically say you can't have a bloody gauze pad in your mouth, then you know maybe we'll maybe we change that rule on the fly. Um, what about the Mewis factor? Because Mewis comes in, scores a couple of goals, and I had tweeted when I saw the lineup Mewis instead of Haran because Haran still has the hip injury that kept her out of that last Thorns game two weeks ago. And uh, I don't know if we're worried about Haran maybe not being able to stay healthy through the year. But someone replied back to me and said, you know, I wish that were Mewis for, you know, um, Lavelle instead of Haran, not Mewis instead of Haran. But is Mewis going to be like this year's Julie Ertz, where she just forces her way on the field? You know, she might. I've always been a big advocate of Sam Mewis getting more time. I think the problem is, can I make the argument that she should play over Lindsay Haran? I'm not sure that I can. Haran, when, when she's healthy, is bring something special to this right, well, team. Yeah, well, that's the Lavelle commentary, that it should be maybe Mewis, Haran, and Ertz. Mm, no, I, I completely disagree with that. I think Lavelle has a, a unique skill set. I think she's the closest. She is really, I, I think, the only true 10 they have on this roster, and I kind of wrote about that in a sort of a things we need to see from, from the send-off series before the game, and that was we don't really have a, a true backup 10. You've got players who can fill the role, but I don't think that they um, they have the same skill set. I, I prefer Mewis as more of that that box to box eight kind of like Moran. Um, so it is unfortunate that you can't have both. Mm. I guess you could have both at the same time. I just I think they occupy the same same role and the same space on the field. But I'm not. If for some reason Lindsay Haran can't go, I think Sam Mewis is is ready. I think particularly in her first goal, she was really. She and, and Lavelle were one of the few players in that first half that were reading the space as well and, and trying. Lavelle had a lot of good penetrating passes. And Mewis did some really good individual work to kind of create some separation for herself inside the box to get that shot off and, and get it to the back of the net. I think she looks like she's in really good form right now. And what I liked about that is Lavelle gave Mewis the pass. I don't know if she gets an assist or not because Mewis did a lot with it. But Lavelle then continued to make a run which when you watch a lot of league games, you see a lot of players not making those extra runs off the ball. They make the pass. Somebody will make a run to get on the ball, but there's not those extra runs. And I like that part of, of that play for Lavelle. She didn't get back on the ball because Mua scored, but by making that run, that makes it so much harder to defend whatever the player on the ball is going to do with it. Yeah, I agree. I think that tends to be something that stands out about North Carolina usually is that they they really are good about making those follow-up runs and just, just bombarding the box. 
Um, and I thought that they, Crystal Dunn eventually took over that, that 10 role in the second half. And I'm not a big fan of her there in a three person midfield. And I think she's much more, she likes to, to go out a back line, to dribble at them, to run at them. And I just, I don't think that's what Lavelle brings. And so I think they missed that a little bit, but thankfully they had her Pinot kind of out in the flank to pick up that sort of creative slack. Are we worried about Morgan? Cause there's always been this thing that, you know, she's great for the U S even when she's not good for club only one game. I know, but I've been outspoken that she's been, I think she's been a negative, a minus player for the pride so far. Any concern? Um, not so much, you know, in the, in the center forward role, I, uh, it depends on your service. You know, you, you've got to get service to make something happen. And she, it, she wasn't getting it for whatever reason. She was kind of tended to be holding her runs. And I guess it was maybe trying to clean up rebounds and just make those late runs into the box. So she, she hovered a lot on the top of the box when service was getting sent in. Um, it was an off game, but she wasn't the only one who, who didn't look her best. I thought Mallory Pugh when she came on second half was, was pretty invisible as well. Um, so if it continues, yeah, but she's even when she's been poor for Orlando, she's been in great form for the U.S. for, for the majority of the last several years. Um, and then she and, and Rapino, I don't think we're on at the same time. If they were, it was very brief. So those two tend to be r- a really good match. So if you can get both of them on the, on the field at the same time, I think something's going to happen. So it's what, New Zealand and Mexico, and then it's off to France for the World Cup. And remember, four years ago, things at this point in time were not good. And that last friendly against South Korea, that was not a team that was ready to win the World Cup. So, yeah, absolutely. I think until what was it, the second half of the the opening group stage match, we didn't know what we were, what was going to happen. And I think it, it took a while for things to connect. So there's obviously no not a time to panic. But where was the fun in not panicking, Dan? Oh, of course. Uh, but I, you know, I, as I told you, when the roster came out, I got some tweets that said four years wasted, who's going to be Jill Ellis's replacement? And that's because Casey Short didn't make the roster. You know, so I mean, that's, that's a bit excessive, yeah. even, if, even if you think Short should be on the roster. Well, and it also, Jill Ellis is not going to be at the next World Cup, even if they win. So That is extremely unlikely, I believe, which is, you know, goes back to what I keep saying about players like Sofia Huerta. Don't worry about the right back thing, because there's probably a new coach next time that you have anything to do with the national team, but that's another discussion from the time. Let's take, let's do a little NWSL here in this opening segment. And uh, mid midweek, um, Chelsea hit me up with a NWSL trivia question. And that's not Chelsea's usual tactic to begin a conversation with me. She's more of a tactical conversation about the league, not a trivia question. So she asked me, who are the seven moms in the league? And eventually I got all seven of them. How about the weekend that these seven moms had? You get yesterday, Shayna Matthews scores her first two goals as a mom to help the Spirit win with her son in the stands. Um, Dogney Brinder's daughter gets her first goal as a mom and the Thorns win. Amy Rodriguez, a mom, scores. Then on Mother's Day, Michelle Vasconcelos scores. Jessica McDonald didn't play because she was suited up for the U.S. women's national team. And then that only leaves Sydney LaRue, who is back on maternity leave, not playing, and Sarah Gordon, who's a center back, so very unlikely to score. And, well, she played 90 minutes to help the Red Stars snap the courage unbeaten run. So that's a really good showing for the seven mothers across this league on Mother's Day weekend, isn't it? 
Yeah, I, I tell you, I was just really hoping for Sarah Gord to pull out some, you know, maybe some set piece magic or something yeah, just to complete great. it. That would have been awesome. Would have been great. And how close did Vasconcelos come to scoring twice? She hit the post, and then I don't know how that rebound didn't find her and just touched in. I don't know how it didn't go in. I don't know. That was just an unlucky. I think she's been in really good form this year and, and certainly an improvement over last year. And I think that part of that just says how long it takes to not only adapt to the league, because you remember she missed her rookie season because she was pregnant, but also to come back from being out for that long. I mean, it really takes a lot longer than just getting back on the field. Yeah, and did she play for BYU? Yes, I believe that's correct. So that's not, you know, that's not exactly the top echelon of the college game either. So that, you know, that's a really big jump. You know, Amy Rodriguez, same thing with the year off for having a baby and then tears her ACL in the first game back. So that's like two years off, and she's not, she's not a young player either. Yeah, and I think, you know, there's been a lot of talk about Amy Rodriguez last season. Even this season, a lot of focus has been on her for being quiet in games and then popping up with the goal. But as you said, I think it was last week, that that's her role as a forward. And I think she's finally starting to settle in. So even though Utah didn't win, I think that her continuing her scoring streak is, is only going to be good for them. All right, we're going to do Orlando and Portland in a later segment because I feel like that's a bigger conversation. Uh, but... What else caught your eye this weekend? For me, I was at the Sky Blue game, sat in amazing amounts of traffic going there and back. But, you know, you watch Sky Blue almost beat North Carolina and almost beat Portland, then you're thinking, all right, they're making progress. But if you can't get a result against Washington at home and you're now 29 games into the Denise Reddy era and you've got one win against a team that was swooning, I mean, what? Where? Where are the results coming for this team? And if you, you know, if you watch the game, it was just you know little breakdowns here and there that were the difference. They they need points, and I don't know where their wins are coming from again. Yeah, I think as a team overall, they look to be improved from last year. I don't think they're quite as as dreadful, but I like I like the insertion of Savannah McCaskill up top. I think they were missing her when she was injured, and I think she adds some pace to be able to get in behind. And the, she was the, great the, No yesterday. one else has. She, she was, was fantastic great. yesterday. Her pass um, for that goal for Ra- Raquel Rodriguez was yep. just outstanding. Yes, it was. And, so, I thought, and I thought she got tired, maybe a little lazy toward the end of last season, so I was happy to see her first start of the year really play well. Yeah, I think they need her. I think they need to get, the more they get Amani Dorsey involved up top, the better. Um, but... I just, I just, it is like you trade one for the other. Yes, they're scoring now, but it seems like for every goal they score, they're going to give up one. Well, you're not going to get points that way. Well, and the game turned when they had, and I, I don't remember who it was that was about to get in, and Paige Nielsen took her down from behind, and it was a yellow card. Maybe could have been a red, but it was a yellow card, so they had a set piece, which wasn't really in a dangerous spot, but it went right into Aubrey Bledsoe. Bledsoe rolled it out to um to left back there and I'm um, uh, having a if we get from owner about who the left back is I think Amy Harrison took that and before Sky Blue touched the ball again they were down two to one and that's the sort of thing you can't have like you not that you need to score on their own set piece but you can't you can't have a set piece in the attacking third and before you touch the ball again you've conceded that's just not acceptable yeah I mean we've seen that not just from Sky Blue that's these teams who know how to pounce 
um, just even beyond in transition, it's like ultimate transition when you're coming off a set piece. I think that that uh, the rain are typically pretty good at that. Portland's been good at that. It's just it starts with a, a good goalkeeper and goes from there. So I don't think it, that's necessarily something that's a sky blue weakness. But again, it, it doesn't certainly help them. I'm just not sure. You know, they signed Gina Lewandowski. I think that's that's great. She brings a lot of experience to this team and, and should hold down one of the flanks for them on defense, which should should settle things down a little bit because they're mighty, mighty thin on a defensive uh, on their roster. But they really miss Kaylin Sheridan. Like, let, let's be honest. She would have made yeah, some of those saves. I like, nothing against Dee Dee Heritage, but they really miss, they depend a lot on Sheridan pulling out some phenomenal saves. Dee Dee Heritage is one of these players. The story is outstanding. She was the reserve keeper on the flash in 2014, then was out of the league for two years, and now she's finally on a full contract. But she's a big downgrade from Kaylin Sheridan, I'm sorry to say. And great job by Sheridan getting to the preliminary point of the Canadian team. And um, a week ago, would we, would anybody have thought Estelle Johnson would be in with Cameroon headed to the world cup? I think that took almost everybody by surprise. Great for Estelle Johnson, but that's another pretty big blow for sky blue. All right. We are going to come back and uh, give it to John and Claire. There were live on site at Sea geek where the red stars, they're the streak busters in 2014. They ended the rains record streak at 16. And on Sunday, they prevented the courage from tying that regular season mark with a 3-1 victory, so we'll send it to them next. And a reminder before we go to please rate and review the Equalizer podcast. The better reviews and ratings you give us, the more great content that we can bring to you. So please rate and review the Equalizer podcast today. This is episode 59. from uh, the inside of SeatGeek Stadium. It's Claire Watkins here with John Halloran. We just watched the Chicago Red Stars beat the North Carolina Courage three goals to one with two goals by Sam Kerr, one from Michelle Vasconcelos, and Lynn Williams got one back for the Courage. Uh, first time the Courage have lost since 2018. First time they've lost uh, multiple goals, I believe, since 2017. Uh, definitely a different kind of Courage that we saw today. You want to talk about that, John? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously they're missing, you know, a big, big chunk of their their core. Um, so, you know, this isn't the same courage that we saw earlier in the season or we saw last last year. But uh, yeah, Chicago had the front foot um, for the first time probably since 2017 against this courage team. So, um, you know, overall an impressive effort uh, from Chicago. And uh, you know, it was I think it was an entertaining game for neutrals too because both sides had a lot of chances, a lot of crossbars, posts, um, some wild scenes in front of Chicago's goal on uh, set pieces. I don't think they defended their set pieces very well, um, but uh, yeah, a good win for Chicago and uh, I think an entertaining game for everybody else. Yeah, absolutely. It looks like from what I'm looking at right here, uh, Chicago's shots on goal all resulted in Chicago's three goals. So Chicago very efficient in front of uh, in front of goal. Uh, North Carolina not so much. Uh, I mean, for me, jumping into kind of the how it felt 
in the stadium. Tough weather again. It was pretty cold. It started raining kind of hard by the middle of the second half. So it wasn't definitely, it definitely wasn't good conditions for a good soccer game. Um, but it definitely seemed, and Paul Riley talked about this a little bit after the match, that North Carolina didn't look like themselves. And you can blame it on the personnel, but um, there was only maybe a 15-minute period, maybe in that end of that first half, where it felt like North Carolina was really kind of running uh, the way that they usually do. I felt like the momentum shifts killed the courage going forward for long parts of the game in a way that we aren't necessarily used to seeing and I don't know if that is so much North Carolina not used to losing for this much of a match or Chicago doing a good job of shutting them down Uh, I don't know what did you see well you know it was funny that you mentioned the inefficiency um, because Riley said that uh, preseason that that was in the equalizer preview that uh, he wanted uh, North Carolina to be more efficient in front of the net Um, Last week, I think they had 28 shots um, and obviously didn't convert many of those. Um, So that's definitely something that that they need to improve on or they're going to keep dropping points. Um, The other thing, I think, in terms of, like you mentioned, their effort um, or maybe not being able to stick with Chicago uh, through certain points. And and Riley mentioned the same thing post-game, that uh, he didn't feel like they matched uh, Chicago, is that... Yes, they lost talented players, but they also lost leaders, right? I mean, Sam Mewis is a leader. Jess McDonald is a leader. Abby Dahlkemper is a leader. And they still have Abby Ersig right now, and, and they have, you know, McCall Zerboni, and they have Dabinia, and they have Denise O'Sullivan. So they still have good players um, and, and leaders in their own right. But Riley has created this us-against-the-world culture among his – you know, certainly his top 10 to 12 players. And, you know, you can't just rotate your squad the way that they have and expect those players to to understand that. And we saw that last week, the post game with uh, Kaylee Kurtz, where she said that, you know, Riley had said to her, it may look really easy when you're sitting on the bench watching these games and you get out there and the speed of play is totally different. And so I think the real challenge for North Carolina, uh, you know, over this World Cup break is can those players step up to that cultural expectation that he has set over the past few years because the one advantage that Chicago has right now um, is that, you know, when you look at players like Sarah Gordon, when you look at players uh, like Michelle Vasconcelos, they played last year and they got important minutes last year, especially early in the season when Chicago had a lot of injuries. And that looks so far, it's only been two games, but it looks like it's going to start to pay dividends for them over this World Cup break. Speaking of Michelle Vasconcelos, she's come up on the podcast a couple of times. Um, I, I know we keep bringing her up because she's been a surprise maybe even to us, and it makes sense for a Mother's Day recording to maybe even say maybe we underestimated what coming back looked like for her last year. I think maybe it was very easy to see what she was doing on the field and see a player that wasn't ready for the professional level yet when maybe we were just looking at someone who was much earlier in their physical, mental, emotional development coming back from pregnancy. Um, I think this week has shed a lot of light on that, which has been really interesting. And she had another great game today. She got the start um, in the place of the suspended Katie Johnson. And uh, that's someone that maybe we didn't expect to be such a big part for Chicago going forward, but she's going to be huge for them. Yeah, I will 100% admit that uh, I did not expect to to see her have the season that she's having so far. And, you know, we're only a few games in, but I think that every time I've seen her come into a match, her play has outpaced what I thought she was going to offer the team. 
Um, whether that is, you know, I thought last year she played very unsettled. She just kind of ran around. She didn't know where she should be. She didn't know when to go forward, when to go back. She got caught forward when she should have been going back. She, you know, was hot potato every time she got the ball, bad touches, um, kind of a panicked, you know, look. And this year, much more composed. She's relaxed. She's holding possession. She's making better decisions. She's taking chances. She's finishing some chances. You know, not only did she score tonight, but she put one off the bar. Um, and the goal she did score was against the entire Courage back line. If you look, by the time she takes that shot, all four defenders are behind her. Um, so she has really done uh, better than I expected. And, you know, uh, obviously she's starting, I think, to kind of feel her way into the league after missing her what would have been her, her rookie season uh, with a pregnancy now in her uh, second year back and uh, starting to play really well. Yeah, I think maybe what we saw today, we saw more of what we expected to see Chicago's World Cup squad to look like maybe than we did last week. Um, obviously, some mitigating circumstances last week, but um, a little bit more of the depth and the class of depth shown. Uh, North Carolina, it looked to me like the best players on the field for them today are the ones that are still going to leave. Abby Ursag, Deb Dabinia looked good. Um, Lynn Williams had a good game. Obviously, she's not going, but she looked a little bit isolated. She didn't have that partner to work with up front. And I wonder, I think you're right. I think the mentality only works if you have people who not only have the buy-in, but have experience with how to execute it. And North Carolina could have an interesting month or so. And I'm personally excited to see what Paul Riley does to counter that, because this is a challenge to this team that I'm not sure we've seen in some time. Yeah, I think for me, Dabinia was the best player on the field, um, at least early. The first 10 minutes, I think she had three chances um, and I, I really had expected her uh, to finish two of them. Um, one she missed. The other one, there was a, a nice late tackle that Chicago was able to prevent the shot from, from getting uh, to their goal. But uh, you're absolutely right about that. And Williams is, is the type of player, you know, she's going to play better, obviously. I think every that's, that's probably an oversimplification because I think every player plays better when they're surrounded by that type of quality. But, you know, um, Leah Pruitt is a player who could step up for them. I, I've been impressed with her early in the season. But, uh, you know, I would say two things. One, I think it's going to be rough for them. Uh, you can't lose the spine of your team the way they are. Uh, and two, if there's anybody in this league that's good at taking a group and telling them that they're underdogs and creating a culture and bringing them together and getting them to go out and, you know, um, give everything they've got, it's Paul Riley. Cool. Uh, any final thoughts, anything that you saw that you think people at home might have missed? Was there anything little? My little one is uh, I thought Emily Boyd did a great job of time wasting today. Uh, <laughs> and, and I'll call it time wasting because it worked. But um, she just little conf confidence on the ball. She made Williams chase her to pick it up starting early, early 59th, 60th minute, um, shaving minutes off and also setting a tone of confidence for that back line that I think permeated throughout the field. Um, did you have anything that you saw any little stuff? Yeah. You know, um, Vanessa DiBernardo, uh, in that 10 position, which, uh, we haven't really seen her in a, in a, I think the last time she regularly played as a 10 was 2016. Um, and she played that role very well today. She held the ball up. She found forwards. Uh, Chicago transitioned very well and might have, uh, again, this is a weakened North Carolina side, but might have figured out a piece that they're going to need when they play North Carolina down the road, uh, full-strength North Carolina. If Bernardo can hold the ball and possess the ball and Chicago can put some pacey players in their front line, 
attacking, counterattacking North Carolina could be the key to finally uh, beating them and, and maybe getting to a final. All right. Thanks, John. Uh, this has been us live, and uh, I'm sure we'll get back to Dan and Chelsea. Back with the third and final segment of the Equalizer podcast. Thanks to John and Claire for being on the scene in Chicago. And it's time for a new feature on the podcast, the Sports Reference Stat of the Week, which is brought to you by Sports Reference, which is now live with their women's soccer section at fbref.com. That's fbref.com for footballreference.com. You can find some World Cup stats so abbreviated NWSL stats, so some good stuff in there. But for the sports reference stat of the week, the Spirit beat Sky Blue over the weekend to improve to 2-1-1. And, and it's been a rough go of things for Sky uh, for the Spirit, beg your pardon, since the start of 2017. However, not when they face Sky Blue. They're now 6-0-2 against Sky Blue FC since the start of the 2017 season. And get this, 3-23-8 against the rest of the teams. 6-0-2 against Sky Blue, 3-23-8 against the other teams. Chelsea, good thing Sky Blue is in the league, at least for the Washington Spirits' perspective. Ouch. Um, late game. Now, I mentioned I was in all this intense traffic, so I was not texting in my car, but during stops I was talking to you a little bit about the Pride Thorns game, and then I got this little message. It might have been from you, first one that told me that they were going into a weather delay two minutes into stoppage time. And I said to myself, that's a little weird. And then I looked at the score, and it was 3-1, to one, not the 2-1 to one that I had last seen before that. And I said, this is completely absurd. And they did wait, what, an hour or so? And then restarted the game and played the rest of the two minutes? Yeah, so they were there were originally four minutes of stoppage time. They'd played about... 90 seconds, two minutes of that. Um, they were down three to one. It did not look likely that they were going to get one one goal, much less two. And they, we thought the game was it. I mean, you're watching the stream and there was a lot of confusion. Oh, is, is the game ending? Did they, they stop stoppage time early? And you see that like, the refs having a discussion. Mark Parsons did not seem happy, which understandably, yeah, they went into a weather delay for a, bit, a, bit, a little bit less than an hour, came out and played another 90 seconds, absolutely nothing happened, <laughs> and that was it. And it was just the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. And that was complete with warm-ups, right, because they were off for long enough? Yeah, they came back on and, and did warm-up, about 10 minutes worth of warm-ups, and, and none of them looked particularly thrilled about it, but there they were. Now, I mean, it's fairly obvious that someone should have stepped in here, and I get the reference... I think there's some confusion because the referee can't call the game. Like if it's raining in the 75th minute, it's not up to the center ref to say, all right, that's it, 75 minutes and we're done. But the ref can call the stoppage time off, right? Right. So I don't understand why they just, given that the score wasn't particularly close, that it was, I mean, let's, I guess they can't really say, well, it's unlikely you're going to score, but the score wasn't close. They would have had to have scored two goals 
in uh, you know the span of, of 90 seconds, two minutes to get anything out of this. Right. That's, a, that's many, a big ask. Which is how many they've had in the season up till now. <laughs> exactly. So it's a, it's a big ask. And the ref, I think, could have just said, okay, you know what? That's an, We don't need four minutes to stop it. I think four was probably actually legitimate. I think it was one of those times where they they'd had a, a couple of, of stoppages who had a hydration break and some other things. So I don't think four was completely ridiculous, but I don't think anyone, I can't even imagine the pride complaining too much if they've been denied two minutes of stoppage time. But I also think there, there's confusion on to who, you know, I, I've seen what should have been the league who called it, or it should have been um, the stadium officials, or it should have been the pride front office. I don't sure anyone really knows exactly who is supposed to call it similar to the snow situation in Chicago last week. Well, I, I, I guess the stadium officials could say we're done in the stadium for the night. There was one game. It was a spirit red stars game, I think. And it was, they were in a delay and it was um, curfew at the soccer plex. So then the league had no choice at that point, but to call it, I think they were like in the 80th minute. And so in fact, I think the red stars got eliminated from the playoffs with that loss. Um, but yeah, really, and you know, you don't. I'm not suggesting that this should be on the pride to do this, but if you're Mark Skinner, can you just say, you know, let's all go home instead of sitting around for two minutes or you know for yeah, an hour to play anybody, two minutes? Yeah, I don't think anybody would have looked negatively at him for doing that. I mean, again, I'm not suggesting that he should because you know he's in a competitive situation and, and he's struggling and whatnot and still looking for his first win uh before we get to the q a we didn't do much on dash royals but this is the first time the dash are ever plus two in terms of 500 they're also bizarrely on top of the league with a goal difference of zero but uh, that, that's a huge win for them because you know and i was you know this game was conflicting with sky blue and i admit i haven't gone back and watched it yet but I knew enough that they were down early on the Rodriguez goal, and you're thinking, all right, here's the dash. You know, they're off to a good start, but they got a big game on the road. They can't do it. And they get their two goals, and they get a win. That's a huge win. Daly gets the two goals and gets sent off. Um, we can debate the Katie Johnson red card. This is a as red a card as there's been in this league. Yeah, once they, they showed the replay, because it was one of those things that all of a sudden you're, you're seeing this, because it wasn't called right away. The, it was right by the the um, side of it, sideline official, and so they called the center ref over, and then they had this long discussion. So nobody knows exactly what's happening, and then she's walking off, and then finally they show the replay, and you say, "Oh yeah, well that's, yeah, it, it was, that was pure frustration from Daly, but that's uncalled for. You can't do that." And I think I saw this particularly in that Dash Utah game, and then in uh, the Portland uh, Orlando game increasing increasing physicality and and to an extent that's just unnecessary like i think sam johnson had an absolutely terrible foul on rachel daly in that utah game it was late it was hard and just i think I, we saw the, some of that from utah and chicago against chicago last week and i just think we're, we're seeing more and more even though we've had red cards in two successive weeks now we're seeing a lot more physicality and, and people are getting away with it and i, I think you know late fouls like that or, or elbows to the face that's when people get hurt and i think this they really need to get that under control because it's like, come on, these are grown ass women, like grow up. I'm sorry. You're getting frustrated because you're getting fouled, but retaliation is so childish. So well, childish. we've already got the two uh, reds that we had for last season and they're both for violent play. Whereas last year was, you know, Marta hands to the face. I don't know if I'd call that violent and Carly Lloyd basically saving a ball off the line with her hand. So, you know, you can't, 
deter this stuff without making the call. So maybe we're uh, we've turned over a new leaf. And if anybody's upset also that the fourth official made the call, that's what the fourth official is supposed to do. They're supposed to all work together. Even the assistant referees can, you know, uh, radio to the center ref, stop the game. This happened and discuss it with them. That's what they're supposed to do. Ultimately, the decision lies with the center referee, but the fourth official is supposed to get involved in that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I think they made the right call on that. And it's, it's unfortunate for Daly because now she's she's not going to be back until after the World Cup. That Next week was supposed to be her last game, to my understanding, and particularly after having a really great match and, and coining a phrase that I think you and I are both going to appreciate as fellow Jeopardy nerds, and that's the Daily Double. <laughs> um, but like it, it is what it is. I like it. All right, uh, Q&A time. Hashtag is EQZ pod. If you want to get your questions in early ahead of future podcasts, Rainmaster, what is the roster difference between supplemental player and national team replacement? I thought NTR designation went away with addition of supplemental players, but apparently not. It's really just that there are so many players missing from some teams that they still need national team replacement players. Um, the league has not made the rules clear and it doesn't actually seem like you need to go to the bottom of your a lot of roster before you can call an NTR players. But I might add, we're up to, we're heading month five now of not having a communications department at the league office. So not as easy to track down this information as it has been. Joe Williams, the Houston Dash used no substitutes during their game versus Utah. What say you about that strategy? You saw the game. I didn't, but I've never, first of all, they won, but I've never been one that think that you need to use substitutions just because they're there, you can just as easily make a decision not to use a substitute as you can to use a substitute. Yeah, I just didn't see. Obviously, they won the game. They were doing what they needed to do. And sometimes I think substitutions can throw off a rhythm. And I think maybe that if I had to guess that uh, James Clarkson was was concerned about that because they were it was a close game and, and something minor like that could throw things off just enough to. Uh, to, to ruin that flow that was keeping Utah out of, and also they're they're uh, they're missing their Canadians. So the the Dash roster has already kind of been slimmed down. They did sign one additional player, um, but they don't have as many to go around now. So they may just going to be keeping those fresh to kind of start rotating week in and week out. Bria asks two red cards called on Utah la- on Utah's last two opponents. What do you think about the way Utah's been playing and the way other teams are handling it, Chelsea? Uh, it goes back to what I said earlier. I do think Utah's had two very physical games in a row, uh, but they're not the ones earning the red cards, so they're staying on that side of the line. If Again, if they're frustrating other players, then that's not the way to handle it. Now, I didn't think the Katie Johnson one was a frustration foul. I just think she got a little careless with the elbow. Yeah, I, I agree. That, that I think if anyone was frustrated in that game, that was Sam Kerr. Um, I do think they're playing playing. They're one of the more physical teams in the league right now easily, but they're not. I don't think the red cards, I think the fact that you got two red cards in a row on the teams that were playing Utah is a coincidence. And if, yeah, I probably agree. They're a real physical midfield and they're probably not going to be able to outscore teams or at least until they figure out that they can, or if they can, I don't see any way they can be successful without being physical, to be honest with you. And currently that's without uh, Des Scott in the midfield, who tends to be one of the more physical players. Definitely, though not she is one of those players, though, as physical as she is, I can't remember a time where I thought that she had any sort of questionable foul or overly no, aggressive play. 
I think she, to me, she's like a like a Julie Ertz. She just puts her whole body in there, is not afraid to 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 take a little bit of a challenge to get what needs to be done. I don't think that 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 player has to resort to to being reckless to do that. Brandon Holmes has Mewis made her case to be a USWNT starter. What's the best midfield three, assuming everyone is healthy? Um, you seem to lean more Lavelle. I seem to lean more Mewis. Uh, Ertz and Haran, is that about right? Yep. Maybe Mewis as a super sub. Maybe you, I, I, I'll tell you this. I think Mewis is a better sub than Lavelle. So if you're going to split it down those lines, I might lean toward your starting midfield because I think Mewis is more likely to come in and change the game and can do more different things coming in to change the game. Maria Berry from Australia. How much has the later start to the Matildas World Cup camp affected the NWSL U.S. players gone, other countries still in, Sam Kerr, dot, dot, dot. Kerr was certainly the difference maker in Chicago, which doesn't mean they wouldn't have won without her. I kind of almost feel, though, like some teams maybe are in this um, middle area that we didn't even anticipate where they're starting to lose players, but they almost haven't lost enough players. Like, I almost wonder if the courage would be better off without Urseg just because that's what they've been preparing for as opposed to, you know, like they're in this middle ground of losing players right now. Yeah, I don't know if the Courage could, if you any team could be better off without Abby Ursa just because she's that good. But I do think that teams like Washington and Houston in particular are in that middle ground where they have lost some players, but they still have more to go. And I do think the Australian edge is, you know, helped Chicago. I think that um, it was it was Harrison to Legarzo um, to... Uh, Mine just went blank. DB Aussie. Yep. For that. Yeah. So Aussie, Aussie connection there. Um, it's Portland still has Caitlin Ford. She scored. Haley Razzo came on. Um, Ellie Carpenter's playing. So I, I think there is like a middle ground. I think Portland is another who's definitely going to have a different look once everyone is gone. So, yeah, that, that's interesting. I think we, of course, the U.S. went earlier and we should have anticipated this, but we didn't. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's weird, too, because, you know, Estelle Johnson just went in with Cameroon and Australia and still has another week to go. And I, and I can't, I can't, well, go ahead. I was going to say, there's also some players that could be gone with Jamaica, too. We've seen, uh, you know, Shana Matthews in, in and out. So she could be another that, that could be someone who's gone who maybe they didn't anticipate originally. And I do not buy for one second that the U.S. has that much of an advantage getting together earlier. Yeah, especially not with their injury history. Um, and by maybe the way, they think they're, they're saving them from injury by taking them away from the NWSL, which I don't agree with, but whatever. No, I don't either. I don't agree with that at all. And also, um, I don't. I wasn't saying that their Courage are a better team without Ursag. I'm just saying that if they're preparing for life without her, it might have just been an easier transition to get it over with. Yeah, maybe. All right, XO Woso, why other shape? I think there's supposed to be what other shapes than a 4-3-3 do you think would play to this World Women's World Cup roster? I'm guessing that's about uh, the U.S. Um, certainly not a 3-5-2, I'll tell you that. Um, I mean, I, you know, I, don't <laughs> oh. think it would be, I don't think it would be terrible to play four in the middle with some of the personnel they have, but I think this is going to – I think they're going to – Live or die on the four three three hillier. Yeah, I think the days of the four four two are kind of 
over, especially for the U.S. And I think with with having such good wide players that this works for them. I'm not sure if you had, say, Megan Rapinoe and Tobin Heath back to their old wide midfield roles, who you would have up, maybe Kristen Press up top with Morgan. So maybe that could work. Um, but Well, what if you put Mewis and Haran on top of the back four and then you did three across – Dunn, Lavelle, and Heath, and then you get Pew back on the field up top. Obviously, that requires O'Hara to be healthy and probably Krieger to be the right back. What about that? All right, so so where's Rapino? Rapino's up top with Pew and Morgan. And then the three behind them are Dunn, Lavelle, and... Um, uh, and Heath. So how many? I'm I'm confused. I'm missing some players. You're right because I think I put one. I think yeah, I put too did. many players out there. <laughs> all right, all right. So I'm going. I'm going with the Canadian football rules here. <laughs> too many players on the field. <laughs> all right, I take it. I take it all back. But it's an. It's a. It's another thought, I suppose. But I mean, the thing is that Rapino, Morgan, and Heath, you can't break that up. Yeah, I, I think we, that's partly what we saw today is just any any combination without those three is just probably lesser. And what's amazing is about this time last year, because Pew got hurt Memorial Day weekend, about this time last year, we thought it was Rapino, Morgan, and Pew were the three. And it's amazing to think how well Tobin Heath has played since she got healthy that there's not even a discussion anymore. I mean, Pew's gone the other way, too, because I don't think she's been the same since she's mm-hmm. been back. But, I mean, Tobin Heath is probably the best American player since summer, late summer. Um, club and country. Club and country, yes. Yeah. I, I, I just, those three, They first of all, they bring, they bring such experience. And... They just each one adds something different. They're just such different players, and they play so well off of each other. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any any. If this is a World Cup final, and those three are healthy. You've got to have them starting. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think working from there back, the four three three is going to be it, unless there's something that happens in a match and you have to break it up. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to go to a three back late in a match because you're down by goal and you need to get a result, then that that would be the variation. But as we've seen, the U.S. is not pulled off that transition very well but a lot of times it has to do with the shifting personnel all right well that's going to do it for another episode of the equalizer podcast happy mother's day to all the mothers out there watching and a very happy mother's day for a very successful mother's day weekend for the seven well i guess six active mothers right now playing in nwsl including jess mcdonald with the national team not included sydney larue who's back on maternity leave uh, North Carolina Courage undefeated no more. Thorns still undefeated. They now have the longest current unbeaten streak in the league at 10 regular season, dating back to last season. For Chelsea Bush, John and Claire in Chicago, I'm Dan Lawletta. This has been episode 59 of the Equalizer podcast. Thank you for listening to the Equalizer podcast. The views and opinions expressed are those of the hosts and do not necessarily represent those of Equalizer Soccer. We thank you for listening and hope to see you next time.